Welcome to the Lojo Show. It's all right. I'll get better at it. Did I just say it? There is no monopoly on good ideas when it comes to cybersecurity. Welcome to the Lojo Show. I am your host, Loverture Jones. I am the founder and managing partner at BlackRock Engineering and Technology. I have over 20 years of cybersecurity experience, and I'm honored to bring some of that experience to you. Today, we are going to continue our conversation with Keith Walsh from Armis about the OT journey. All right, Keith, welcome back to the show here. Um, glad to be able to have you here for uh, the Armis and the OT journey episode number two. Um, last week, and you gave us some really great background and great vision and view of, uh, of, the, or, of the industry and IoT and OT and that journey. And uh, definitely want to just say thanks and appreciate just kind of the way that we kind of scaled things down as far as being able to let some of the lay folks actually understand what it is that we're talking about here. So, you know, today, one of the things we want to go over here is really what is the OT journey, right? Um, the OT journey and, and IOT component here is that uh, there's got to be a genesis and an initial portion here as far as on uh, OT and IOT. And then basically, what does awareness look like uh, within this area? You know, we, we talk about a little bit. I've got manufacturing experience stuff in that side, as well as for uh, med tech. And then also when we even talk about things like weapon systems and stuff, too, from a military standpoint. Uh, but Really, what I'd like to, for you to do is just kind of give us what does awareness look like? What does good look like? What's the goal for organizations to be able to really be aware within both the industry as well as on the different products and services that are out there that can help them fill in a lot of these gaps? Yeah, no, thanks, Liverture, and uh, wonderful, wonderful to be back for uh, for series uh, for part two of this series. And uh, you know, great question on what does good look like, especially when we're we're talking about our, our critical infrastructure, you know, whether it be pipelines, whether it be the utilities that deliver gas, water, and electric services to our homes. Um, you, you know, in, in identify, obviously those are, you know, and, and I'll include critical manufacturing in there as well. When we look at those types of assets and we look at those types of enterprises that own, maintain, monitor, and manage those assets, you know, what good looks like really is, is a lot of things, but it all, the genesis of it is where is my starting point? Because I can't have a good, a good posture across my entire enterprise unless I get started. And where do I start? And oftentimes we find folks uh, start where they really should start and need to start because they understand that they're critical assets um, are the most important in every process that we engage with, again, whether it's delivering electricity across the grid, whether it's delivering natural gas through pipelines, whether it's pushing that loaf of bread um, off of that, that conveyor. Every organization has the most critical of critical, right? And you know what this is, is it's really defining the protect surface. It's what do I need to protect that is the most critical of processes that I run. Um, and identifying that really helps us to take the step forward in the cyber journey. Um, you know, it's almost like we have, 
you know, a thousand acres in front of us and we want to go find a, a specific tree in that woods, but we're looking at a thousand acres and we're like, oh, where do I start? Well, you know where you start? You take a first step into the woods and you start looking for it. Um, and that's part of the cyber journey. We, you know, we, we need to start somewhere and identifying the most critical of assets and the most critical of processes associated with those assets is a great place to start. And at Armas, we call that, you know, understanding what the critical protect surface is. You know, maybe it's valves in a pipeline. You know, maybe it is a specific control process within industrial manufacturing. Maybe it's the, the, the reclosers and the cap bank controllers and the switches that reside within our our utility networks, right? If that attack surface is not addressed and there happens to be a breach into the environment and those assets get taken down, then we're all gonna kick ourselves and say, you know, we should have started there. We've left uh, you know, a neighborhood without electricity. We've left a whole substation without electricity. We've left, um, you know, a, a valve station, a pumping, a compressor station within our pipeline, uh, our, our pipeline network. We left that unprotected, and now I've got lines a quarter mile long at the gas station because I can't deliver the needed product for those consumers. So identifying the protect surface upfront, which ideally is the most critical of assets is the best place to get started because once we do that we can begin to layer in a zero trust model we can you know begin to understand how to protect that surface how we can map the transactions and then how we can layer in the the, the correct security controls and the best place to get started the most critical of assets within our environment oh, excellent uh, overview and stuff on that um now, when you're working with your different companies and organizations here, one of the things I found is that most uh, organizations are very reactive and still very much so reactive when it comes to this. And, you know, when they react, a lot of times that's when they finally look at reaching out to an armus or so in that case to want to better understand their, their, their environment and begin to get that. Do you find that companies are still just being reactive right now and really kind of responding more to breaches or also, you know, to regulatory, you know, changes. How would you say that balances right now, and how effective are leaders and you know within the industry at this point in addressing, you know, in addressing these security needs and the need for awareness within their organization? Yeah, you know, it, it's a mixed bag. Um, you know, we've got the White House putting out security directives. We've got TSA and Homeland Security putting out security directives to our critical infrastructure. So we do have um, clientele coming to us that needs to abide by specific frameworks, by specific regulatory uh, edicts that come down from Washington, D.C. So there's certainly a, a, a group of um, asset owners that are motivated by those edicts because they have to be motivated. And then there's the bucket of folks that are motivated by maybe a peer attack, um, maybe an infringement within a peers network. You know, if I'm, a, um, if I'm a manufacturer of a widget and I've got a peer down the street who manufactures the same widget um, and they've been breached with ransomware, all of a sudden in my organization, I'm typically going to get ears perked, and then the questions cascade down to the IT managers, and the questions then get posed, could that happen to us? What would we do if that happened to us? Would we even know 
if that has happened to us. So that's like the other bucket um, where we see at Armis, which is, uh, you know, folks coming forward because there's been a breach into a, a peer or a like business. Um, it's seldom, unfortunately, that we, but we do every so often have folks that come to Armis and they're like, no, there's no edict, there's no directive coming from Washington, there's no framework, there's no, um, you know, guidelines that I have to abide by due to regulation. Um, no, I haven't really had a peer business, but we're doing what's best for our company, for the brand. We're doing what's best for our reputation. So, I want to layer in CIS controls. I want to understand what it looks like to be you know, compliant to IEC 62443, things of that nature. Um, unfortunately, there's far too few of those organizations that come forward, but when they do come forward, um, it's under the understanding that it's a numbers game. I know this doesn't happen to us, and I certainly want to get ahead of that pending doom that I know is coming my way. Of times I, I i used to go to these organizations and they're fairly large and one of the first things that uh, they i think you know most consulting uh, folks would do is say hey you need better network segmentation and they throw it out there and it was, it's just thing that hangs there because the other part is is that typically when these organizations even go through iso audits that's like the first low-hanging fruit item that comes up better network segmentation and what does that mean and how does that relate to regulatory compliance challenges as well as visibility, uh, uh, you know, visibility across their infrastructure partners, alliance partners and stuff too, you know. Um, and that's what we you know, that's one of the things we find, especially is, you mm -hmm. know, get to larger, more complex organizations that mm -hmm. may have both a critical infrastructure component, but then also, let's say, a critical supply chain component you know, to it where they're producing, let's say, engines, right, or producing specific, you know, specific pipeline materials are still from there, right, or specific parts and stuff that we need for uh, military and stuff too, as far as for that to continue. Um, could you give us just kind of a, some, some, some light on that when, you know, you, when you hear that coming into the organization of, hey, we need help, the first thing that's been identified is we need better network segmentation. How do you, what would you say to CISOs as well as to the information security managers from an OT standpoint? Um, what do they need to do? Because sometimes they got to just take a, a step back and really kind of get their arms around that particular issue. So how does that, how, do you, how does that affect you guys? And mm -hmm. how have you guys been able to address that in the Armist conversations there when it comes to that compliance question as well as, you know, basic security? Yeah, you know, that's interesting, Lobacher, because that is one of the most common use cases that Armis solves for within our critical infrastructure vertical, within our operational technologies, regardless of um, what the enterprise is building or delivering. Um, oftentimes, the conversation devolves into, you know, I need to understand my, my segmentation. I need to understand my boundaries. And what we're really talking about here is, is mapping the, the protect service transaction flows. So let's say I've decided that, you know, my most critical infrastructure is my PLC network because that PLC network is directly responsible for producing that product. So I want to focus my efforts 
on that PLC network, and I want to understand what the risks and the vulnerabilities and the threats are and the vectors to get into that PLC network. So to your point, traditionally, what oftentimes has been done is, hey, let's hire some network guys, let's buy some firewalls, and let's properly segment that network. Well, so, you know, you've got a couple of things that, that you, you know, that stand in the way of doing proper network segmenting, right? Number one is there's always data that's going to move in and out of that segment, right? You, you need to understand safety metrics. You need to understand uptime metrics. You need to understand um, the metrics around uh, you know, recovering of faulty equipment and the replacing and the repairing of that equipment. So you build in connections into that critical infrastructure, into that protected segment, right? And as those connections begin to build over time, and then you start offering connections to your third-party vendors, uh, your, your, your OEM vendors to help you manage and maintain that, you've effectively broken what you thought was controlled segmentation. So at this point, right, you're not really going to knock out those connections. You're not necessarily ever going to truly air gap. So one of the stages of, of building this, this zero trust network is in fact mapping the transaction flows in and out of that protected network or that protected service that you've identified and that's exactly what Armis does. So when we're installed within one of these protected networks, when we're installed outside and around these protected networks, we're actually able to do just this, which is to allow for the dynamics of connections into that protected network that have a huge amount of value into the C-suite, into the IT side of the house, but we're able to map those connections and to monitor those connections for authenticity um, and validity of the, of, of the created connections with regards to the applications and the machines and the users that are requesting information out of that protected environment or that are sending commands, CNC, command and control activities into that protected environment. So that is a very key aspect when you when we start having the conversation around segmenting and air gapping and creating boundaries, it's a great thing to go into your firewalls and to create your ACLs um, and to block connections in. But we all know that there are going to be connections that are whitelisted. Extremely important to map the transaction flows of that protect surface. And that's exactly what Armist does for our customers. One of the questions that our that our listeners are going to have too is like, how is this really applicable to to the uh, you know to the to the everyday you know person here in the U.S. especially, right? Um, what are some of the things that they should be really thinking about? Why would this concern them as far as uh, being able to have the correct OT awareness and security? Right. Because at the end, they end up being the end customer of a lot of things. Right. Our power and utilities, our medical technology and how that's integrated, including medical technology that is now integrated with cloud infrastructure that actually talks to devices in their homes and stuff. So how does this uh, overall kind of affect that everyday uh, consumer and understanding that those environments should be, you know, should be secure? And are there questions and stuff that they should be asking of? Uh, their providers, manufacturer, or so too, uh, or service providers in this area. 
You know, I think to an extent there needs to be, you know, the onus placed upon the the organizations or the consumers that are consuming these goods. So when we go into Home Depot, you know, and we look at a Nest thermostat, when we go and we're thinking about a ring doorbell, we think about, you know, all of these IoT devices that we find within our homes, right? They're, they're coming from OEM manufacturers. And when those OEM manufacturers are producing those goods, their primary concern is cost. What's the cost of producing that good? Because I want a product that can compete in the marketplace, whether it's a security camera in and around my home, whether it's a security camera that surrounds a substation, whether they're motion sensors within our buildings, sensors on our elevators and escalators that track movement. Um, you know, even in our smart cities, right, we've got facial recognition products um, that, you know, after we're monitoring movement within our subways and within our cities and Grand Central Station and whatnot, those cameras are inevitably connected to DVRs. Those DVRs are connected into a smart city environment. So the onus is really on the, the individual or individuals that are consuming those products to demand that those products are at least delivered hardened. And the interesting thing, let me add on to that, Louverture, um, is the reality of, of life is that we know these devices are arriving and secured. We know these devices have a soft underbelly and that's really where Armis gained its foothold, which is, you know, six years ago when we came to market, we understood that the explosion of these, we'll call them IoT devices, they could be IoT medical devices, they could be OT devices. Um, we, we understood that there was going to be an absolute explosion, and it has come to fruition that the explosion of these devices um, it, it, these devices are now everywhere, and we understand that these devices are, in fact, the soft underbelly that lead into our homes, that lead into our manufacturing environments, they lead into our hospitals, um, and, uh, and, and that's where Armis initially cut its teeth by wrapping a layer of security around these devices that were finding their way into our networks um, by ensuring that they were, in fact, authentic devices. The activities that they were engaging in were, in fact, uh, you know, accepted and approved um, by what the gold standard of what these devices should behave uh, should behave by. So that is, you know, it's interesting. That's where, as a result of these devices and their explosion onto the market, is where Armis got its start six years ago. One of the things that we see that's being asked of industry is that consumers as well as companies and organizations and B2B and B2C businesses are asking for higher levels of assurance, right? Higher levels of assurance that, you know, what you're providing is secure. It was produced through a process that was secure and also had both safety and quality um, as a, uh, you know, as a target for the outcome of that product. Uh, and then also just in our general lives now, when we look at kind of the connectedness of all these things. Like if we look at just even, you know, smart vehicles or smart cities at this point, there is an expectation that these things are safe and that the outcome is going to be exactly what's intended to be for a product in that case, right? Mm -hmm. It says, hey, this is what we do and that's all they do. 
uh, in that. So I think that that, you know, that approach from a consumer standpoint, as well as even a corporate buyer from that end, that's what we're looking for. And it used to be that, hey, for things like usability, safety and quality and stuff too, you know, we would do things like, you know, hey, does it have a UL marking on it, right? <laughs> has it gone through yeah. UL? Has it gone through those testing and stuff too? Well, I think the same expectation when we look at uh, how liability and stuff is applied in large, you know, let's say multi, you know, multinational organizations and stuff at this point, those are still also the, the, the expectation, you know, from my global view where, you know, U.S. users and stuff has some of the same expectations as European users and stuff too. Um, how, you know, how kind of across the board um, uh, have, has your business been affected by that? Like when you look at the difference between like U.S. and Europe and let's say even APAC, you know, in that case, as far as uh, uh, those that are, that are looking at Armas. Yeah, so, um, you know, with regards to on the liability front, obviously, you know, Europe has a set of, of you know laws and regulations with regards to cyber attacks and threats. Now the U.S., um, you know, we've lagged a bit behind, but what we are seeing now and what we are hearing uh, from the folks that are our, our, our client base and our, our our customers that we talk to um, is that insurance is now starting to push back on claims. Right. So it's interesting because, you know, now there's a bit of a different dynamic. I mean, let's face it, everything typically, you know, rolls back to the almighty dollar. And that's what drives business, um, you know, return on investment, you know, overall returns is what drives action oftentimes. Um, and this particular uh, action is that, you know, we've been told that they're their claims are going to be, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be suspect, right? They're, the, the claims are going to be audited for um, what did you do as an organization, right? To thwart this, this action, right? Uh, you know, that device that you, uh, you claim to have been, that, that, that was taken over, um, you know, by ransomware that was locked up. Did it have endpoint protection on it, right? Why was your firewall rule even allowing that in? Are you running antivirus? Are you running IPSs and IDSs? So these insurance companies, again, driven by the dollar, are now starting to become very IT savvy, interestingly enough. And they're starting to question right, the, 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 the tool sets that customers have in place to try to even avoid these actions Right, which would then avoid the insurance claim. So you know the, the the dollar flows downhill. So oftentimes now we're having conversations around um, what can you help me? You know what tools do you have uh, available that can help me to avoid this type of of claim? Right, that I'm now fearful might be denied. And that is a. Uh... You know, it, it, at one point when we started talking about like things like cyber, cybersecurity insurance in those areas, I, I remember doing uh, a number of different uh, evaluations and audits and stuff too, in order to say, yeah, this company has these minimal protections and stuff in place to help prevent breaches. Well, in those, what we found is that uh, in some cases, organizations would kind of haphazardly just throw some tools together and stuff. And mm -hmm. like, yep, we have this capability <laughs> in place now. And to your point, you know, insurance companies are very smart. And they they definitely understand risk, and they understand uh, also on how to be profitable from that. 
And while it is an essential tool now uh, to use, you know, cybersecurity insurance, it is not a catch-all and it is not as easy now to, um, you know, to obtain the benefit from those insurance policies and stuff too, because there are quite a few, you know, now gotchas now when it comes to mm -hmm. them, even on how they're underwriting insurance right now, it's very different than how they did it in the past. That's right. right. As far as one qualifying for it to also meeting the terms and conditions so that the, it will pay out. And this is where CISOs, CIOs, as well as uh, the organization's risk leaders and stuff too, need to understand that because you get into a big world of OT and IOT and that becomes a, a premise where you did not practice good hygiene in accordance with the terms and conditions of insurance. That is where you can get into quite a bit of trouble, not just from the fact that you've had a breach, but also to your ability to recover and reacquire and you know recover your business and stuff from there. Um, so these are things to very to look you know to pay attention to and look very closely in as far as so for our folks who run IoT and OT environments and mm -hmm. understand what you know liabilities the companies are under as well as the uh, conditions of the protections that you think you've put in place for a risk management or risk mitigation strategy. You know, it's interesting because uh, not too long ago, maybe maybe four months or five months ago, I my my wife is a um, CFO for a biotech company, mm -hmm. and um, in the middle of conference calls, I walked on downstairs to get myself a diet coke, and uh, um, she was talking to me about she was negotiating her insurance policy uh, for the biotech company, and that they were questioning her about security policies, security procedures, security tools that they have in place uh, to mitigate a claim. And I said, I said, you're kidding me, right? I mean, I have this conversation all the time. Um, with uh, with you know CISOs and and CXOs with regards to the spend on an Armist product and what that would look like to protect their their environment, and you know they're starting to balance that against what their premiums would be in their policy if they didn't have specific tool sets. So she basically said, "Yeah, I'm, you know I I have basically got to do an IT audit of all of our tool sets." Um, and convince them that I rightfully so have the tools that would, um, you know, thwart such an attack and I'm doing my due diligence. And, and if I don't, my premium is higher. My insurance is going to cost me more if I can't substantiate um, the protections in place that I've got. And it's, it's a new world these days, because to your point, the insurance companies are there to make money. They don't like to do insurance claims and they are now starting to audit organizations for, um, you know, they're looking for compliance. They're looking for organizations to pitch in and share the burden of all of this malware and these, these threats, um, you know, that are, uh, are seemingly everywhere across our, uh, our networks. Yep. It's, uh, you know, kind of, it's definitely a brave new world, right? It's, yeah. Uh, and, and I say brave new world, but really, um, I think that the risk picture and, you know, basically the concept of insurance is pulling one's resources and money and stuff together in order to alleviate risk in the future, right? Um, and with that, you know, I kind of liken this to, you know, when I got a motorcycle, right? It, it's a wholly different risk now than just my regular automobile driver <laughs> driving license, especially when it comes to catastrophic, you know, catastrophic death, right? <laughs> or something like right. that. Right. 
right to that right um so I, I remember in doing that you know when you're when you're doing motorcycle insurance there's a bunch of additional questions that come along with that that you just never really had to think about or answer right uh one is the loss of the bike right that's that's one right and that is hey do you have a lock or electronic lock or so for your for your bike do you can you do you have a wheel lock right for it or mm-hmm. uh, those things so there's one is there's, there's the loss of the asset but then there's also the other component there and that is injury and stuff to you know to the to the rider right um now there's a bunch of questions about what type of protective gear <laughs> are you wearing right yeah. what type of rating does your helmet and stuff have that you're that you're using there right uh in addition to that of course you're driving history and stuff too where are you do you have a propensity to just be a really fast driver in general or can you drive responsibly on this motorcycle as well right where you're proving that history there but I think more than, you know, more times than not, the other component that I liken this to in our industry is, do you have the tools and do you use the tools appropriately, right? Are you orchestrating your tools in order to come to a measured and balanced approach to security? Uh, and in addition to that, do you have the people that can operate those appropriately too? So that's right. Yeah. Getting those types of questions and down to that type of detail now, when you are again representing your uh, organization, function, capability, and stuff to uh, an insurance company for cybersecurity insurance. So uh, being able to have that and that you know, Armis and stuff from an orchestration tool and stuff too, as far as how that integrates with your uh, environment and other tools and reporting. Uh, that's an important piece there that uh, our users should think about as well as be able to explore with Keith and stuff too in the future here. So, yes. Yeah, so, you know, that's what you're really touching upon is how do I operationalize an idea, mm-hmm. right? If I've got an idea, whether it's zero trust um, and, and we could just use that as a, as a great example, as a, a sort of a, a, a springboard into the conversation. You know, zero trust is this huge nebulous concept. Um, how do I operationalize that? I've got 150 security products. And we actually heard this from uh, one of the world's largest CPG manufacturers um, in, the wor- uh, in the world. They have literally over 150 security tools and half of them sit on the shelf collecting dust. So oftentimes we'll get the question, as we did with the CPG manufacturer, yeah, convince me how to operationalize this. Convince me that this is not this, obviously the value as you've presented it, as you've demonstrated it is tremendous, right? I can see how I can leverage this product um, in many different ways, but how can I operationalize it? How can I put it to use such that it increases the value of my, my organization, increases um, you know, the value of your product within my organization? And how can I leverage your product to increase the value of those hundred other tools that I purchased that I thought I was getting value at with when I purchased them, but they're just sitting there on the shelf or they're collecting dust, or I just haven't quite operationalized them in a way that has delivered value to those products. So what I'm getting at is, you know, folks buy NACs, they buy SIMs and SOARs, folks buy CMDBs, folks purchased, um, you know, all sorts of different security products, IDSs and IPSs, um, and they never quite seem to get the full value out of those products. Um, and what I'm speaking about in this, in this vein is the fact that many of these devices that are showing up on our network weren't 
necessarily taken in consideration when those other security tools were purchased. You know, if I can't put an agent on a sensor, what's Symantec going to do for me with regards to the thousand cameras I've got, the 500 printers I've got, right? Those are all, you know, soft underbellied products that um, connect Bluetooth, connect Wi-Fi. What's to stop somebody from doing a D-off in, into one of those devices and gaining access? I can't put an endpoint protection on it. Um, and so on and so forth. So, you know, one of the true values that Armis delivers is we are able to bring all those devices that are in the shadows or what we call the gap devices, the devices that you can't take under management with those hundred plus tools that you currently have, let Armis take those under management and then feed all that information that you wish you knew about those products into those products. I'll tell your CMDB about all those unagentable products, right? I'll tell your NAC, I'll tell your, your SIM, your SOAR, I'll tell ServiceNow and Splunk, I'll tell those platforms all about the devices that were currently in the shadow or in the gap that those, that those platforms were unaware of. So in addition to the value that Armis brings in and of itself with regards to discovering devices and providing risk profile and the orchestration of their protection, our ability to feed all of that information into the platforms that these customers already own only goes to raise the value of those platforms. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, the, the ability to be able to kind of uh, address and adopt to the industry is most important now. You know, I, I think I, when, I, when we see some of these different tools and stuff out there, I think one of the things is to be able to evolve its, you know, capability, you know, to match the current, both cybersecurity, IT, and regulatory and compliance functions that are, are really, you know, are really now leveled on uh, organizations, and sometimes in that case, leveled on to organizations that have very few resources to be able to adapt and really enforce everything that's there. So things that allow for that automation of that, as well as the easy collection of that information and insight. Uh, mm -hmm. So that is, uh, you know, that's that's really kind of the, the, the next steps as far as on where organizations have to keep up. Well, Keith, thank you again for joining us here. Um, some definitely rich and deep insights as far as within our industry and the things that we are, you know, that, that, that we're faced with and how we're going to actually address those as far as both with the solution from Armis, but also the awareness that's given to uh, organizations and stuff too through your interactions and stuff there. So thank you for the time today. Appreciate it and look forward to the next episode. Yeah, thanks, Lovature. Have a great weekend. All right, thanks, guys. That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. Thank you to Keith for coming on with us again. We appreciate him joining and sharing his experience with us. We are very excited for the multi-part series with Thomas. If you are excited about this as well, please let us know on social media. If you follow our social media, you can get some great info on current events, find resources for your education and awareness, and connect with us. If you want to come on the show, you can send us a message on any social media platform or on our website at www.blackhingetech.com. Thank you for joining us. But for now, we have to say goodbye. Have a great week. Stay safe and stay secure.